Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. We thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you, God, for what you're doing. We thank you, God. We lift your name, God. We lift your name. We lift your name, Jesus. We lift your name. Jesus. Your word says, Lord, if we lift the name of Jesus, you'll draw all men unto it. Lord, and we lift that name. We lift that name, God, right now. Right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We glorify your name, Lord. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, we love you. We love you. Have right away, Holy Spirit. Have right away. Father, we love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. the worship team don't move hallelujah if you're if you're here right now and you're sick in your body if you're here right now you're sick in your body i want you to just stand up just stand up you need a miracle of god you need a miracle of god hallelujah if you're here right now and you need a financial miracle stand up hallelujah you need god to do something if you're here right now and you're praying for someone in your family a child brother, sister, mother, dad, whatever, and you need them to come to Jesus, stand up right now. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, thank you, Jesus. I believe right now God is, <clears throat> he's moving. He's, he's our healer. Can you say amen? And he, he is our provider. Amen. And he is our savior. And he says in the word that if our, if our whole family, that's the promise, should be saved. And I believe right now God's going to move. So let's pray, Father, right now in Jesus' name. I declare healing right now to everybody that's in this room right now. Father, a miracle of healing right now. Lord, I command all pain. Right now, all pain leave in Jesus' name. Every symptom leave in Jesus' name. I speak to the root of that sickness and I curse the root in Jesus' name. I command you to die. I speak to you sickness, disease, and I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. And Father, I release healing power in its place right now. Father, I speak, God, to that withholder. I bind him in the name of Jesus. The one that withholds the blessing, I bind it in the name of Jesus. And I command you to release right now. I speak right now. Release financially. Blessing will come. The need will be met. Your word says in Philippians 4.19 that you meet all our need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There is no lack in heaven, God. None. None. You have more than enough. And God, we speak that more than enough right now. Father, we pray for every family member that's represented that doesn't know you. We claim them right now for the kingdom of God. We claim them right now We plant the flag of Jesus Christ into their lives right now. We claim them. 
Lord, and we speak salvation. We send that word of salvation to their lives. Father, we pray, Lord, even distant relatives that are in cities far away, Father, send people across their path that will share the love of Jesus, the gospel message of a Savior that's been raised again for us. Lord, that they would come. Father, we pray that you draw them. Holy Spirit, draw them right now. Draw them to yourself. And Father, we're careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Hallelujah. God is a good God. Thank you. Those that we appreciate you. Amen. Man, God's a good God. Amen. amen. Hallelujah. I'm excited for today. I'm excited for the word uh, that the Lord has laid upon my heart. We had a great time in first service, and I believe that we'll have a great time here today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse number 9. I want to read a portion of scripture to you that <clears throat> this is going to be our text for a little while, and uh, we use this as a springboard text, and we're going to try to get everything that we can out of it, so... Uh, verse number nine, reading from the New King James, it says this, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me tell you something, that is a wonderful portion of scripture. And this morning we're going to begin a three-week series about a very important subject, the Lordship of Jesus. And I want to say to you that this morning, I want to begin by telling you that this is something that the Lord really did, uh, it has for a while, I, I should actually say, for a while that the Lord has laid on my heart. But in recent weeks and days, this has become more um, uh, prevalent. It's, it's, it's really beginning to jump out at me. And I feel like the Lord is, is, is moving us in this direction to speak about this. But you need to understand something this morning. It's my belief that the subject of the Lordship of Jesus is a very important subject. And, um, you know, I don't by any means think that we're going to be able in three weeks to even scratch the surface of what this subject really represents to us and what it really means for us. But I do believe that we are going to get at least an introduction that can help us to change how we think and how we live. Can you say amen to that? And I, what, the thing that I want you to know and the thing that I want you to, to realize is that this is going to be the kind of series that is going to build on one another. Um, and so I really want you and I hope that you will make a commitment with me that uh, each week you'll be here ready to receive what God has to say because there's no way that, you know, trying to com you know, compact this into one moment is impossible, so we're going to have to spread it out a little bit, because that's how intense this this is. 
And the thing is, is I, I have found, you know, when I spent time, just because when the Lord really began to deal with me on this, I, 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 I'll have to be honest with you, I was a little bit uh, um, nervous about it partly because of the, the volume of the subject that it is. But also I was a little bit nervous about it because that um, when the Lordship of Jesus is preached, uh, it has been my experience there always seems to be a heaviness that comes with it. Either the speaker comes at the subject with heavy-handed words like compliance and obedience and you know they get up the, the preacher will get up there and and use this subject to some degree bludgeon the sheep if you will you know come at it and say you know what you need to really submit you need to and you're this and you're that and and let me tell you something that is not what I want to do I've also noticed that in times when a message like this is preached that the listeners have a tendency to settle into I've heard that all before attitude. And so if you don't got the speaker beating up the sheep, then you got the sheep shutting off. And I don't want that to happen because this is too important of a subject for the church of Jesus Christ to really pay attention to and to really adopt and bring into our life. Can you say amen? And I think as a result of that condition that exists in the church, the <clears throat> the lordship of Jesus is often one of the most overlooked principles in the Bible. Yet it is probably one of the most important convictions that we can have in our Christian walk. Can you say amen to that? See, because the lordship of Jesus Christ, it touches every area of our life. And I think what's happened is that the lordship of Jesus has gotten skewed by creating, we've created this false distinction between receiving Jesus as Savior and confessing him as Lord. See, the biblical reality this morning is we cannot receive him as Savior and refuse him as Lord. Can you say amen? See, the biblical call this morning is to yield to him both as Savior and Lord. This is so um, real in the Bible that you can, you could do a word study and find out that the Bible refers to Jesus as Savior 24 times, but he is referred to as Lord a staggering 747 times. And it's amazing to me that we can so easily miss that reality. Now, I don't want for a minute, not one second, do, you want, I, do I want you to, um, not one second do I want people to think that I'm saying that we intentionally refuse his lordship. I don't believe anybody here would do that. I, I don't believe anyone would intentionally say, you know what, he can be my savior, but I'm not going to make him my Lord. But unfortunately, um, in our culture and society as, as Christians, there's just not a lot of thought or even practice given to the reality of the Lordship of Jesus. We confess him as Lord and Savior, but oftentimes 
we are not willing to live by his will because we want to live by our will. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Someone said this, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. I'll say that again. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And we'll, 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 we'll unpack that in sermons here in, in a week or two. We'll unpack that reality a little bit more. But today, the, the subject of the Lordship of Jesus Christ should be our primary devotion in our daily walk. Everybody knows if you've been um, in my services any length of time, you'll know that one of the things that I really want is I, I don't want to preach just theology. I believe theology is important. I believe that we ought to know theology. We ought to know the word of God. But theolo theology on its own is really useless. It's, there's somewhere theology has to translate into practice. We have to have the ability to take what we learn in the Bible, what we understand about God and ourselves in the Bible, and we've got to be able to, to uh, use that in daily living in the most benign of ways and in the most simple or usual of circumstances. Jesus must be Lord at home, at church, at the grocery store, while we're driving down Stockton Hill Road. He needs to be Lord. Can you say amen? He needs to govern our lives. And that we, it needs to be the Lordship of Jesus needs to be our primary devotion. And as the Lord laid this on my heart and as I began to meditate on it, I realized how much we miss when we miss the amazing privilege of submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus. So I begin this sermon, I wanna take you a little bit on a journey this morning, but I'm gonna look at this subject from a little bit of a different angle. So I want you to stick with me. I don't want you to shut me down. I want you to stay with this because I believe this will help you. Can you say amen? amen. Now, one of the most unrealized promises in the word of God is found in Colossians chapter two, verse 10, starting actually in verse nine. It says this, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now stop right there. This is an indication, once again, of his lordship, that in him all of the Godhead dwells. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Now I want you to think about this. We give great mental assent to that promise. Listen to what I'm saying. The truth is, there is... It is, it is a rarity that we actually live in that promise. When you talk to the modern Christian or the average Christian, while we will give mental assent and while we will speak that promise, we are complete in him, oftentimes our lives are very different from what we confess. Let's think about this for a moment. Are you complete in him? No, don't answer. Just think about it. Are you complete in him? In your daily walk with God, are you lacking 
Nothing. Now don't turn me off, think about it. I, I shared with the first service, I think about Howie here a lot of times because Howie, um, Pastor Howie, he, 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 he has this saying, I'll, oftentimes I'll walk up to him when I see him and I'll, I'll make this statement to him. I'll say, how you doing? He says, I'm do it, good, doing good. And I say, are you hanging in there? And he goes, no, absolutely not. I am not hanging in here. I'm not hanging in there. I'm doing better than that. I'm more than hanging in there. See, our call, we're not called to white knuckle it through Christianity. We're not called to white knuckle it through this earth. We're called to be victorious. Can you say amen? We're the children of God. We're the head and not the tail. Aren't you glad for that? We're the above and not the beneath. We're the lender, not the borrower. Are you hearing me? And so when I talk to Howie, I often think about, I was thinking about Howie when I was putting this sermon together because when I ask him, how you doing? He goes, I'm great. I'm not hanging in there. I'm above hanging in there. I'm, I'm complete in him. I don't lack anything. Why? Think about this. All of the Godhead dwells in him bodily, and he dwells in me. What does that mean? That means I have all of the Godhead in me. I have access to the throne of God. I have access to the Father. I have access to the Son. I have access to the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? amen. See, our problem is, is we are very good at giving the right answer. It's what we're supposed to say. You know, all of us right now, we, you know, I hear lots and lots of amens, and I'm very thankful for that, and you should keep it up. <laughs> However... I have been around long enough to know that what's happening in reality, see, because we're in a church service right now, we, we're kind of in a bubble right at the moment. The Spirit of God's in this place, people are in this place, there is an atmosphere in this place, we just got done worshiping in this place, and we feel that, and we feel that presence, and we feel all that, and it's good, and I got the victory, but there's gonna come a moment here in probably about 35 minutes when you're gonna walk out the door, and you're going to go with, on with life. And I can tell you that by the time you get to the car door, you're going to be challenged. It happens. Some of you husbands and wives will be in a full-blown fight by the time you get to the car door. Some of you with your kids are going to want to gag them and duct tape them into the front seat. You're going, to go, you're, going to go, you're going to go to your favorite restaurant and, and some other church is going to have just let out and now the Christians are going to be mad at each other because we're not first at Chili's. Have you, can I get on a bunny trail just for a moment? You know, have you noticed how often Christians pick on Christians? Stop it. I say to everybody on Facebook land, knock it off. Thank you. <laughs> I'm blown away. I'm blown away by some of it. And so somewhere, no doubt Guido is. You know, we, we confess Jesus as Lord. But sometimes we're anything but submitted to that. Jesus said, love your enemy. I didn't say it. Matthew 5, 46 says it. Love your enemy. 
That, uh, okay, that's next week's sermon. I gotta get moving on. That's, that's, that's next. We're, we're gonna quit meddling. It's like, you were really good up till that point, preacher. That means if your neighbor is throwing his trash in your backyard, Jesus said, love him, bless him, do good to him, and pray for him. <laughs> I can't do this. We, <laughs> we say we're complete in him. We say Jesus is enough, salvation is all I need. But being complete in him, church, is less about the physical, tangible things, and it's more about a spiritual condition that governs our life. Can you say amen? See, when we're complete in him, doesn't mean that we got the best car. Well, I'll be complete in him if I'm driving a, you know, a 7 Series BMW. That's complete in Jesus, you know. If I'm eating steak every day, that's complete in Jesus. I mean, no, that's, that's, or no, no, vegetables every day. That's complete in Jesus. That's being complete in him. If I get to, no, 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 that's, that's just having money. Being complete in Jesus goes beyond that. Being complete in Jesus is about a spiritual condition. Listen, listen to some scripture. This is Pastor Wilson's favorite scripture, and it's really worth being our favorite scripture. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Let your conduct or your behavior be without covetousness. And we could, we, that phrase right there, we could take and preach a week on. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Amen. He talks about contentment. What is he saying? He's, he's telling us something about when Jesus is my helper, when he's my Lord, there's a contentment and I can be happy with what I have. Yes. Philippians 4, 11 and 13 says, now, uh, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am, to, I am to be content. I know how to abase. I know how to abound. Every, everywhere in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's statement here about contentment and his ability to cope with that with victory begins in Philippians 4, 6 that says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. What is this talking about? It's talking about the fact that we can come to a place in our life, no matter what's going on around us, no matter what we possess or what we don't possess, far as things, there is a dynamic, a spiritual dynamic that we can rest in where we are complete in him. See, the anxiety and the worry we so often experience is the evidence that there is a cycle of lack operating in our lives. And it's born out of our inability to connect in the promise that we are complete in him. And in the end, there is a tremendous gap between what Jesus has promised 
and what we are experiencing. And we become susceptible to what many call circumstance theology or what I call accommodating theology. They say, well, what's that? It's, it's simply a doctrinal position, a belief system that we create to justify or to explain our current circumstances or situations. And we're really good at taking scripture and bending it to prove that this is the way it is. I want you to think about this, and probably one of the areas that it's seen so vividly is in the area of healing. Let me tell you something. Jesus did not submit and allow his body to be broken. They crushed him. They bruised him. They beat him. Chunks of flesh were ripped out of him. And he submitted to that torment and that torture. Why? So that we could be healed. By his stripes, the, the old Elizabethan English cleans it up really well. By his stripes, we are healed. No, by his broken, brutalized, damaged, destroyed body, we are healed. And he did not do that so that God in heaven could be capricious about healing and say, well, I don't know. <laughs> God did that, and that is his promise that you are healed. But somewhere what we do is, well, you know, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe God does just, uh, you know, come up with a whole theory about why God don't heal. Another sermon, I, I know, I know. See, when we as Christians give in to this sense of lack, we usher, or we, I should say, we surrender our faith into the one, one of the most subtle and devastating and controlling emotions known to man. And it's we are enslaved to that lack. Listen to me. We become enslaved. And this sense of need makes us vulnerable to every manipulation and every type of dysfunction. Now, we don't lose our salvation. That's not at issue. We just alienate ourselves from the power of God. And we live far beneath the supernatural life that Jesus intended for us. We reach a place in that condition where we can no longer access the power of God and no longer experience the promise of being complete in him. Are you hearing me? What's happening is we've alienated. Look, look, it's an interesting, I'm gonna prove, I'm gonna show you my point, what I'm trying to say by showing it to you in another story. Okay, you remember the prodigal son? Do you remember him? That one day he came to his father and he says, look, dad, I'm out of here. You know, you're not even alive to me anymore. Just give me what's mine and I'll go. And the Bible says that he journeyed to a faraway land. You remember? And then he, he you know, spends all the money. He wastes everything. He does all of that. Now he's in need. He's lacking. And the reason is he's lacking. Why? Because, not because he spent everything. That's not why he's lacking. He's lacking because he removed himself from the lordship of his father. Are you hearing me? 
the Bible then says that he journeys back. He, he comes to himself and he says, in my father's house, at least I could be a servant and I could have something to eat. And so he goes back. Now here's where the Bible does us a little bit of a disservice in the sense that he goes from that point of, 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 of epiphany to the point that he's walking up the driveway where the father's meeting him. What the Bible does not describe for us is the journey home. Okay, he had to go home. He had to, he had to face everything he had to face while he was leaving. He had to face it coming back. And sometimes, church, what happens is we will come to ourselves. We will have this epiphany that I need to go home and be with my father. But we are unwilling to make the journey. just came up with it. Jesus is good. Actually, actually, that's not true. <laughs> See, much of the destructive behaviors we live in are rooted in this sense of lack. Think about it for a moment. Anger. Now, look, at. I'm not talking, let me define it. I'm not talking about righteous indignation. I know every time I talk about anger, there's always somebody that comes up, well, Jesus got mad and tipped over the tables. I get it. Jesus is Jesus though, okay? Okay, I, you know, I, I am not known, my anger is not known for being righteous. My anger is usually wanting to flip everybody off. I mean, I mean is, that, is that too real? I know... If, you guys probably don't get there. But in Kingman traffic, I, 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 you know, I've actually sat and meditated on how to blow up all the stoplights in town. How, how can I do this, man? Man, if I get a bomb and I go up on the hill and it's remote control, but anyway, you know, they'll, they'll never catch me. Or, you know, you're in line somewhere or, you know, I mean, anyway. See, anger is about selfishness. Anger is, when you boil anger all the way down, I didn't get my way. And now I'm mad. It's all about lack. You know what fear, insecurity, worry, doubt? Fear is the vulnerability of the unknown. We fear that. We, we, we fear the unknown. It's lacking. We lack. You know what lust is? Lust is desiring something you don't have or being discontent with what you do have. Amen. It's lack. Pride. You know what pride is? It's the need to be validated or valued. So because others aren't doing it or because we can't receive it, we do it ourselves. You want to know how good I am? Come here, I'll tell you. It's lack. You know what sin is? Sin is human effort to solve a problem. It's lack. Low self-worth, it's the inability to understand God-given identity. It's lack. Loneliness, it's the epitome of emptiness. It's lack. And the list could go on and on. And the common denominator of all these things is they're rooted in the sense of lack. And as Christians, we should never feel a sense of lack. Yet we do. See, since the Garden of Eden, man has been contending and connected to this sense of lack. Listen to me. It's this sense of lack, whether it's subtle or overwhelming, that drives much of our decision-making. 
It's in this sense of lack that leads us to make desperate decisions that take us further and further away from the truth that we are in fact complete in him. And as a result, this sense of lack is a part of every dysfunction and is the precursor to nearly every pain we experience and the sin that we commit. Are you hearing me? See, it all began in the garden with a conversation between Eve and the serpent. Remember? Satan didn't come straight out and attack God. That would have been too obvious. Neither did he immediately attempt to take Eve down the pathway of destruction. She would have never followed such an obvious ploy. And neither would you and I. No one gets up in the morning and decides, hey, I think I'll go out and commit some heinous crime and destroy my life. (laughs) Nobody ever does that. There's a process. Listen to me, I'm gonna make this statement again. We don't commit sin to create problems. We commit sin to solve problems and I could prove it to you. Let me show you, let me show you this. James chapter one, verses 13 and 15 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. When he connects with the feeling of lack, then when desire, when lack is conceived, it births sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. See, desire is rooted in lack. The dynamic, this dynamic of human nature is what every advertiser banks on. See, when you're watching TV and a commercial comes on, its design is to create in you a sense of desire, of want, of need. And so what you do is you're, you're watching TV and all of a sudden, Carl's Jr. is advertising their $6 burger and it's a burger with lettuce and tomatoes and all of that and it's a big burger and it's got ketchup and mustard and mayonnaise oozing out of it. And, and, and then there's this girl that is, you know, she got hardly anything on eating this and it's dripping down her chin. What is that about? Right. <laughs> it's all about desire. And I can tell you, I can give you the the physiology of it in our brain. For men, it's visual. I won't even go there, it's another sermon. For women, it's disgusting. All the way around. But the husband, he goes, you know what we need? We need a $6 burger. And mama's usually in tow. I don't want that, that's just stupid. All they did, all they did is get a regular cheeseburger and put a little bit more mayonnaise and mustard on it make it, make it ooze a little bit more. That's all they did. Now you're gonna buy a $6 burger that's worth 50 cents because some girl in a bikini is eating the burger. It's, it's, it's inherent, it's, it's, it's a desire, it's lack. They're depending on it. And when we go, well, I got this lack, I just, I, that's what I need. Not, I need to eat that because that's good and my wife needs to eat that. I know you're going, everybody's going, I, I've counseled too much to know any different. 
No, 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 no. I get it. I get it. See, before they can sell us their product, they must first create in us a sense of lack. Then they offer the solution to fix our problem. And that's exactly what hell does. Watch. Genesis chapter three, verses one through five. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree or of fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it nor touch it. When did he say that? When did God say, don't touch it? In fact, he said, you got to tend the garden. So I must, my assumption is attending the garden meant they're going to have to touch things. And the tree had to be tended. <clears throat> he said, don't eat it. She's already got an attitude. Lest you die. <laughs> then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat it, Eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan simply asked Eve a few strategic questions. <laughs> and those questions led her down a path that she would have never chosen if she didn't believe she was lacking. Eve believed a lie. She believed that something was missing. She believed God was holding out on her. The devil's questioning led her to believe that there was something more. And for the first time in her life, she felt abandoned. She had to do something. The moment she believed the lie of lack, she, been, she began to be driven by fear instead of faith and it alienated herself from the life of God. That is exactly going on today. Are you hearing me? Listen to me. Satan does not need you to deny Jesus in order to destroy you. All he needs is for you to believe that what Jesus has done is not good enough. The moment you believe that there's one thing that God has not given you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you connect with a sense of lack. Listen, Eve was already like God. She was created in his image and in his likeness. And the devil says, no, eat that, now you'll be like him. See, when our faith <clears throat> is not rooted in the complete work of Jesus, we do not connect with the truth that we are complete in him. Amen. Now, as I begin to wind this down, I know if you're anything like me, you're probably wondering, why did he go to all that trouble to talk about lack? I thought you were gonna talk about the lordship of Jesus. The truth is we are. And it's hard to see right now, but in about a second, you're gonna see it very clearly. Psalm 23, verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Amen. Amplified, the Lord is my shepherd, Amen. 
to feed, guide, and shield me. I shall not lack. Listen, David understood to live in a place of being complete in him meant that the Lord must be his shepherd and in the end, his shepherd must be his Lord. Listen, this morning, we don't have a relationship problem. We have a lordship problem. Listen to what I'm saying. We don't have a marital problem. We have a lordship problem. We don't have an emotional problem. We have a lordship problem. We don't have a mental problem. We have a lordship problem. We don't have a spiritual problem. We have a lordship problem. We don't have a sin problem. We have a lordship problem. See, when we struggle with anger, bitterness, fear, anxiety, lust, pride, sin, insecurity, loneliness, and the list can go on and on, the only, it is only the result of the absence of the lordship of Jesus in our lives. We are trusting the feeling of lack over the completeness of Christ in me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd is my Lord, and I shall not want, I shall not lack. The Hebrew word for want is specifically the word lack. Think about it for a moment. All these things, anger, bitterness, all this stuff, fear, anxiety, lust, pride, sin, insecurity, loneliness, are the result of something missing. It's the result that I believe I'm lacking. But Jesus said, in me, you're complete. Nothing lacking. Nothing missing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. This was, in writing, this is probably what would be considered a thesis statement in David's short psalm, six verses. He says, he sums up the whole thing. He sums up the whole psalm in one sentence. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, I shall not lack. And then in verses two through six, he, he begins to show us and he says this. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. What is he saying? He's my provider. See the illustration or the metaphor of shepherd and sheep the green pastures, that lying down in green pastures, it, it's, it's the connotation that my every need is provided for. I'm well fed. I'm well cared for. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He goes on, he says, he leads me beside still waters. It's the, it's the indi indication of rest and peace. It's the stillness of water. It's that place of tranquility, peace, and rest. He restores my soul. This word soul here oftentimes is translated as being the innermost part of man is where his will and his mind is. And that, that's very true here, but it's expanded a little bit here. It means the whole of man. Man became a living soul. He had a, he had a flesh, he had a body, he had a soul, he had a spirit. And in this connotation, he restores my whole person. He restores all of me. He heals me. He heals everything. He restores me. 
goes on, he says, he leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. In other words, he orders my way and it's a good way. It's a way that has victory and strength and integrity. And he says, and my name guarantees it. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He says, I'm gonna back this journey by my name. That's pretty powerful. Then he goes on, he goes, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Even in the worst of situations, the darkest of nights, the hardest of circumstances, I see yet another side of him that I have not seen before. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I love this. I, you know, I spent some time when I was writing this, just spending time meditating on each one of these phrases. And it came very clear to me in my meditation. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He protects me from the enemies from without and from within. His rod protects me from the wolves that would attack me. He uses a rod against my enemy, but his staff gently pulls me back into line. He never uses his rod on me. He uses his staff. Gosh, I don't know if you can feel the Holy Spirit, but I feel him. Man, he's on me, right? I feel the goosebumps. I don't know. That's, that, that's God right there. That's worth the price of admission all day long. He says, you prepare and this just touches my heart so deeply. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I am seated with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in the presence of my enemies. It's not that my enemies don't exist. They don't matter. They just don't matter. Does any, I don't recommend the movie because it's got a little bit of violence in it, but it is a good movie. Anyway, Tombstone. You remember when Val Kilmer played Doc Holliday? And if you remember the scene, the guy comes out and he's got a shotgun. He's going to take care of business. And Doc walks up and all of a sudden the guy goes, ooh, he's kind of scared. And they talk to him for a minute, but then they go back conversation. And this guy is standing there and he turns and Doc looks at him and goes, oh, you're still standing there? You may go now. <laughs> that's, that's how the devil, that's how God deals with the devil. He sets up a table before the presence of my enemies. He goes, oh, oh yeah, yeah, right. I forgot about you. You may go now. It's not that he don't exist. He just don't matter. And then here, this is the good one. How many remember the relationship between David and Jonathan? They, they had a covenant. And the Bible says that Jonathan died. And then the covenant that Jonathan had with David was passed on to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, he, through circumstances, of, of, of not of his own accord, he was wounded and he became lame. Well, David one day invited him to his table. <laughs> oh man, this is good. <laughs> and when Mephibosheth sat at the king's table, the table covered his lameness. The table that the Lord sets for you covers your flaw. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Isn't he a good God? You anoint my head with oil. So I pictured in my, my head a shepherd that comes up to one of his little lambs and he's kind of bothered. Flies are buzzing around and just little irritants. But gently he begins to anoint his head with oil. Tender care of every detail in my life. 
every problem, even to the smallest thing, God is wrapped up. He's wrapped up in the details of my life. He's aware. You know, I, I told Andy today, we were talking about something and I looked at him and I had my hands on the desk and I was kind of leaning over and I go, I just, I goes, Andy, I just don't understand. But then I had this flash and I said, it's not required for me to understand. He does. And that's good enough. He's wrapped up in the detail. I don't get it, but he does. He says, my cup runs over. God never does anything a little bit. It's abundant. And then he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Two facets of God's character follow hard after me as I dwell in the presence of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Church, we need to surrender to him and never choose anything else. Like I said this morning, I, I, I'm closing right now. This is just the beginning. And, and like I said, there's more to this. There's more depth to this. So I, I ask you to, to remain committed to this series and say, I need to find out more. Because we need to be able to take this. We need to be able to walk this out. Some of it, for some of you, what I would recommend is take the next week and meditate on Psalm 23. Meditate on what it means for Jesus to be your Lord. Spend time talking to him. Say to him, show me, Lord. Would you show me what it looks like for you to be my Lord? Not John Poole's Lord, not, 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 not Mike Field's Lord, but my Lord. What does it look like for you to be my Lord? What does it look like, God? Show me what, what Psalm 23, what, what does it mean for you to lead me into the pasture, green pastures? What does it mean for you to do these things for me? Personalize it. Put your name in it. And let him be Lord. Then you know when you feel like going left and you get this nudge to go right, go right. When you hear that impression that he says, no, don't do that. Don't say nothing. Don't say nothing. When you hear you're in traffic and he says, it's okay, just take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. You get in line at a drugstore and you're in 45 minutes waiting for the drive-thru. Just go, you know what? This is a great time for me to think about you being my Lord. You're my Lord. You're sitting right here with me. And let this become a reality. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, for the revelation of your lordship in our lives. Father, we pray today that as we go from this place, Father, that we'd be continually reminded that you are our Lord. You are not just Savior, but your Lord and Savior. That, Lord, we cannot accept your salvation, but reject your lordship. But, Lord, we receive both of them and all that it brings with it. Lord, we know that your lordship is not a dictatorship, 
but that your lordship is summed up in fatherhood. It's summed up that you are our heavenly father and that you love us with everything. That you bankrupt heaven to demonstrate your love. And Lord, even though that we are wounded and flawed and Lord, that our lives aren't always together the way they should, we know that you, your Lordship, when we submit to that and surrender to that, we know that that covers us. That you make up what we lack. That in us, there is never a lack when we're in you. And Father, we thank you. I pray, God, challenge us, help us, encourage us, reveal to us, pour out into us. And I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if there's anyone here that says, I don't know Jesus is my Savior. I loved what you preached, but I don't know that I've ever allowed Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I don't know if I've ever confessed him as Lord and Savior. But you say, you know what, Pastor, that's me. I, I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you lift your hand right now? Amen, I see that hand. Amen, I see that one. Someone else, you want to give your life to Christ. Amen. Would you all pray? And those of you who raise your hand, would you pray this with me? Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sin, to be my Lord and my Savior. Help me, Lord, to surrender to you in every area of my life. I love you and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen to me, church, just before we go. You know that prayer. Listen, that prayer is simply a point of contact. A lot of people that talk about salvation and salvation prayer, I don't believe that there's a magical prayer. I believe what it is is it's when we help people to confess him so that we can follow him. Amen. And so I want you to go from this place and I want you to know that you have begun your journey in following the Lord. And I want you to go with the confidence knowing that every step you take, he will be right there. Over and over and over again in the word of God, he says he holds you with his righteous right hand. He is a good dad, a good father. And if we will call out to him, oh church, I'm, you know, this is after 40 some years of Christianity. I'm really having, this, this is becoming more and more real to me that when I call out to him, that he's right there. There's times when I don't know what to do. I am confused and there are things that I don't understand, but I have him. He dwells in me and all of the Godhead dwells in him. The infinite in the finite, I don't understand. I don't know how that works, but I don't have to know how it works. I just know it is. He's there. And sometimes, church, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I got to have that conversation about 50 times in an hour. It's like, okay, God, uh, you know, I, one minute has passed, but I'm, I need you again. And that's okay. He's good with that. He, he never forsakes us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. We'll walk away, but he don't. And you know what? If you're a prodigal in this place, let me say something to you. You may be at varying stages of journey home, but you can expect that when you hit the driveway, your father is going to run out and he will carry your shame. 
The Bible says you can look this up in Isaiah 61, verse 7. For your shame, I will give you double honor. Double. You take whatever shame you have and times it by two, and that's how much honor you're going to get. That's how much he loves you. Wow. He's in this place right now. Can you say amen? Praise God. Let's stand to our feet all across this place. We're going to release you today. We love you. I love you. I love this church. And I just want to say how much we appreciate you. You go today. Go uh, just have a great day. Enjoy one another. Our prayer team, ministry team is up here. If you need prayer of any kind, come on up. Let them pray for you. God bless you. We'll see you later. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.